Welcome to Politics and Right on KPFT. This is Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being here. We are going to have a great show for you today. We have two great guests with us today. The first one is Dr. Andy Schmuckler. Dr. Andy Schmuckler will talk about the debt ceiling and the evil within what's occurring with what the Republicans are attempting to do. And the second person is Patrick Lavelle. Patrick Lavelle is a producer director uh, out of Hollywood, out of LA, who wrote the series, The Con, which describe what, uh, what is really occurring in our banking system. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Etc. I think you're going to find both of these interviews very, very informative. But I tell you what, please remember, we are in fun drive mode. So I'm asking you to call 713-526-5738 and hit extension number one to give us whatever you can to support this program. Remember, a $100 contribution gives you a Politics Done Right t-shirt. You can pay that over time. You don't have to do it all at once. It's a Politics Done Right t-shirt with the insignia of KPFT. You can give $40 to become a voting member of the Pacifica Network. Any any contribution you'd like is accepted. 713-526-5738, extension number one. You can also go to kpft.org to really add your support by ensuring it goes to in the name of politics. And right, all the funds go directly to KPFT to pay all our expenses. To make sure it goes to, to politics done right, please remember to select Politics Done Right as the program you're donating for, as well as if you call it in at 713-526-5738, they'll know to assign it to Politics Done Right. But anyway, without any further ado, let's get busy. We are honored to have once again the continuation of our series, A Better Human Story, with Andrew Bard-Schmuckler, who is Andrew Bard-Schmuckler, but a PhD, a prize-winning author, former Democratic candidate for Congress in Virginia's very red Shenandoah Valley, former talk show radio host, summa cum laude graduate of Harvard University, PhD awarded with distinction in a program specifically created to accommodate his original theory explaining how civilization has developed and a frequent columnist in newspapers around the United States of America. Welcome aboard. El Senor Schmuckler, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing okay. Great. Well, you know, um, today we had a, a subject to cover, but it, it, in order to be timely with something that could be existential to the future of men in the United States, we decided to cover a particular article you wrote uh, starring in the Daily Coast called How to Expose Republican Evil in the Debt Ceiling Extortion. And I'm so happy that you called it the debt ceiling extortion. How are you doing today, sir? Please get us started. The reason we've gotten into these very dark times, uh, I have been saying for, uh, I don't know, uh, 20 years almost, that conservative in America and liberal America have each contributed in their own way to a dynamic which has allowed a very destructive force to gain in power. That's, so that's the big picture, the debt ceiling I like as a topic because 
It's a way into showing what it is that's taken over conservative America. And it's very ugly. I mean, it's right there on the surface how ugly it is. And also the contribution of liberal America and the Democrats to allowing such an ugly thing to get such a lot of power over, over so much of America that our democracy has handed them power to be destructive in almost every way you can imagine. The debt ceiling being just one of them. In your article, you state something very important, and I'm glad that we're going through this. You state that uh, one of the reasons you entered that race that I, in the introduction I mentioned in the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia was because you thought the Democrats had failed to make the appropriate case against Republicans and why, in effect, the policies they support were the ones that we should be looking forward to. Yeah, I, I, I wrote a, a, an op-ed in 2009, still Obama's first year in office, an open letter to Obama saying, you know, we elected you to fight these battles, not to forfeit them. You know, so very early on, I, I thought he was going, I just loved the man. I was just so, never so excited, you know, by a historical event you know, that scene on election night in Grant Park in Chicago, Barack Obama, who had been thronged by 100,000 people in Berlin, who were so happy to have America back as uh, out of the hands of, uh, of the people like Karl Rove and Dick Cheney and W. Uh, the whole world was excited and I was excited. And by the end of 2009, I could see that the, the Democrats had elected a wonderful man who didn't have a clue what he was up against or how to deal with it. So disappointing, so bewildering. I mean, it, 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 any 11-year-old boy on the playground would know not to deal with what the Republicans were sending his way in, in such an appeasing fashion. So the Democrats have had a problem, and I say you know, Obama epitomized it, but we can go back to the rise of Rush Limbaugh and Newt Gingrich. The, the Democrats have failed to see what they're up against and failed to confront it appropriately. So in 2011, the Republicans pulled this same extortion st stunt, and, and, and I was a, a candidate for for Congress at that time. So I I mean, I had taken that, as you said, I, I, I had done that because I decided I can't wait for the Democrats to say what I want to have said. So let me grab this platform. The guy had run unopposed in, in 2010, grab this platform, and then I can say to the, the to the, the the part of the world I'll have access to, Virginia's 6th District, from Lynchburg to Roanoke, and up to sh just short of Winchester, I can talk to them about the ways that I wanted the Democrats to be doing. And so what I did. Wait, was, wait one minute, because here I, I want to give you some I want to give you some kudos right there, because you claim that you did that for your district six in Virginia. I remember well when you got up and gave that speech and that speech on Daily Coast and other places. It was like, where has or where have Democrats been ones who were willing to take the bull by both horns, which is what you did in that one speech and you continue to do as you were campaigning throughout Virginia. Yeah, that, that, thank you for bringing that back in. You know, the, the, whole, the whole message really is, I mean, I've, you and I have talked about my concept of evil and I think I can make it stick, but now's not the time. But it is about evil. 
one of the remarkable things about today's Republican Party is it is it meets my definition of evil, a coherent force that consistently works to make the human world worse. The debt ceiling obviously makes the human world worse, even if the threat isn't carried out, and certainly if the threat is carried out. But you know, back in 2011, Obama and his crowd gave rewards to Republicans in exchange for their extortion. So I I used the what pulpit I had, not a bully pulpit, but a tiny pulpit, you know, one congressional district. I got up there and said, really what the Republicans are saying is they're holding a gun to America's head, the gun being the consequences if they if we default on it, you know, everybody agrees that the, you know, catastrophe. Holding a gun to America's head and saying, if you don't give me what I'm demanding, I'll blow America's head off. I mean, that really is essentially what they were saying and what they're saying today. And you got to put it in that language to get to the peak of the people to recognize, look at what you're dealing with here. You know, what would we think of a guy who held a gun to a kid's head and said something like that, I'll blow the kid's head off if you don't meet my demands? In addition to the evil, the palpable evil of being willing to inflict the degree of, of disruption and, and, and unemployment and suffering, not just in the United States, but they say in the whole world. It would be the whole world, yes. To do that... Uh, to be willing to do that, that's evil. But then to do that in order to get what you cannot legitimately achieve, it is not legitimate to coerce the other players on the on the stage into doing everything your way. If you believe in democracy, you get the right to do you get your way by persuading the people to give you the power to do it. That's the only legitimate way to do it. Extortion is not legitimate. So both in their means and in their goals, they have shown themselves to be evils. They are they are battering away at, at, at democracy, which says you don't get the Democrats to give you what you want by threatening to hurt the nation. You got to work out a deal with them or you got to let them do what they can do, whatever. That's playing by the rules. And breaking the rules is setting us on a path that we have seen throughout history. I mean, if power isn't going to be given from the people, the people are going to be victimized by the power. So now, interesting. This, it's a matter of seeing evil and denouncing it. And, and the Democrats, at least, are not yielding this time. And that is a big step forward. I don't think that the Democrats are going to cave. Some people on daily costs do. I don't think so. I think that they are. I think that Biden's going to save the day at the end. But in the meanwhile, they should be helping the American people understand what it is. And you got to be able to denounce things in the proper tone and the proper terms so that people can see this evil that's right out there in front of us and that most people still don't really see. You know, I th I think they're going to try to hold firm, as as you said. But I I have a problem with them uh, playing playing around the game right now. I think it is uh, uh, on uh, as pro as uh, Robert Reich has printed several uh, several days ago. It is time for for 
uh, President Biden to simply say, uh, going forward, there will be no debt limit debate because of the 14th Amendment. We are responsible for our debts, period. Take it to the Supreme Court if you'd like. If the Supreme Court rules against you, again, uh, you know, that, it, that would be the quagmire that we're in, but I would dare the Supreme Court to do so. I, I, I agree with you entirely about that. In fact, that was my position and it's been my position still. Um, but this episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The thing is, the, the job, the political job uh, that needs to be done in a sense, job number one, I think, is to get a substantial majority of the American people to see the Republican Party for what it is. So, I agree. So, so yeah, I, I actually have been predicting. I think that what the Dem, what, but I think that the that it is smart for Biden not to say, you know, this is what I'm going to do, or just to do it. You know, he he just made a move. By the way, he said, "No, I'm not yet there." Or I'm not there yet. He, he I saw the interview. Yeah, his interview. Yeah. So, so that's a step away from where he he used to be. So, I, I think it's smart to let the. I mean, they can know in their head that we're not going to go over the cliff. They know that he's going to do it. That's what I believe. I don't have any inside information, but in the meanwhile, the this whole drama should be a lot. Should be. Uh, allowed to unfold in whatever way will best educate the American people. If Biden just steps forward and says, I'm going to unilaterally, you know, overturn this uh, debt ceiling law, you know, make some argument about the Constitution. How many people are going to be understand when the Republicans say, oh, this is a dictator or a tyrant. He's got no right to do this and all that kind of garbage we would hear and we will hear. Prepare the way for people to understand he's rescuing the country he's not betraying it this is what is required and i was interested to see that in today's new york times lawrence tribe who in 2011 argued right. against the 14th amendment route now he says he's changed his mind that what's important here is not you know uh, whether how you interpret some words in the 14th amendment what's important here is saving the country Absolutely so. There's no doubt about it. But here, here's the issue now with respect to Democrats, Biden, etc. I think there's such a poor job being done. I, I want you to uh, humor me for a few things here real quickly. Here in Texas, we're going through hell. Uh, we have, they're, they're trying to take over this, the largest county in, uh, in Texas is Harris County. Yeah, I, I, read, I know county. about that. It, it's disgraceful. But what gets me more more so than what the Republicans are doing 
is the lack of fight that I see in our legislature from our we are so big that we have three senators who cross bounders uh Harris County which means they should be over here mobilizing the citizenry in that particular district we don't hear from them they're moot so I called up our uh, several of our legislators I called them and spoke to them personally and one of the statements that I got is over here in our legislature it's like being on a plantation with those who have control and those who don't to which I told the legislature le legislator so why aren't you activating the base why aren't you flying back to Houston and getting a posse together and let them know that even if they win the vote, the masses of people that are against it. So I, 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 I take homage to what you had to say about jumping into that election in, I think it was 2011, I believe. 2011, I mean, 2012 was the actual election. The date, but I, I ran for two years. 2011, yeah. right. It, to, to kind of put some fire under the Democrats' uh, uh, belly, because as it stands right now, uh, not many of the politicians proper are, 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 are screaming. We have the activists like yourself and what we're doing here that are trying to raise the awareness of the American people. But I don't see that fire from the elected officials. Well, you know, th 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 I mean, this is, this is, I mean, the Democrats have been making progress in these directions. Uh, you know, I, I, I used to be feeding uh, ideas into uh, the, the Democratic, uh, I have somebody who, who likes to get my ideas and he's, I, I won't say any name, but if I right. did. We don't would, say names here. We, we, we respect their privacy. Yeah, people, people would recognize it and say, yeah, that's a good, a good voice. And, uh, but, you know, I, I used to send them a lot of stuff because the Democrats were falling so far short. Uh, of speaking of, but you know, when when you got a a, 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 a let's get together in a friendly way guy like Joe Biden standing up there and uh, and and warning the electorate before the 2022 election that the MAGA electorate, uh, the MAGA Republicans represent a threat to American democracy. That was, a, uh, everybody says it, it, it did have a positive effect. It awakened a certain amount. But, you know, that's a big move. I mean, I've been, I mean, he was, he, Obama, uh, Biden, they're, they're people who, who aren't big on perceiving evil and denouncing it. They're too damn civil, yeah. yeah you know, like, I think that by, you know, Obama came into office. He wanted to be a transformational president. You know, like, we had FDR then, and we have, we're going to have Obama now. And, you know, he, he never, he didn't even come, come close uh, mm -hmm. to that. And, and, and the reason is he, had, he didn't, he didn't understand that he had to defeat something that was continually treating him as an enemy. I mean, we know that, that the Republicans, even before he took office, they were determined to make him look as bad as possible, to give him no successes. His way of dealing with that, you know, you got to be able to see. And liberal America as an expression of liberal culture, 
And liberal culture has certain things in its worldview, which interfere with seeing certain kinds of reality. And that one of those realities is evil. You talk to liberal audiences about, about evil or even just about morality, and you hear things which indicate they don't really think this is real stuff entirely. Uh, you know, I, I completely agree with you now. I, and I wonder sometimes what's the genesis of this. And when I get into my deeper thoughts, I wonder how much of it is that uh, there, there, the, 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 and, and I know you, you don't particularly like this particular phraseology, but the, ne the, the neoliberal sect of the party is some of the most, uh, you know, some of, it's likely the most damaging part because while they share uh, certain po policies with, let's say, progressives that they they would want better better social services for our our kin folks, they would want they would want to give a more humane treatment to the to the underdogs to those without. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll tell you. They just won't. Be, they just won't confront that the 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 capitalist nature portion of the party and not only our party but the republican party there's they don't have any use for that so i think you know, you're proposing uh, this that what matters is uh, where people are in the uh, progressive to liberal uh, I, let me suggest that the question that differentiates things is how much capacity for moral outrage do people have? So, so some people will look at something and they don't approve of it, but there's a difference between not approving or not agreeing. It may correlate with progressives versus liberals. I mean, how how ready are you to come? Professor, to or doctor, let, let me interrupt you for a second because I, I don't want to, I want to give a concrete example and then ask you to kind of expand on, you know, make the point. During the, uh, and this is important, during the healthcare debate, uh, we finally decided that, okay, we were going to accept a public option to the a care system because we understood the pain that the private sector would have inflicted, even with Obamacare for the prices of insurance, et cetera. So we wanted a backstop, which would have been the public, the public option that allowed Americans to see what, it, what insurance without a profit base looks like. And it was, I think, three or four Democrats who stopped that from occurring. Uh, and, and, and again, that, you know, we can't put any of the blame on that particular evil on Republicans because we know that that's their evil. We know that that's what they don't care about folks' health care. We know that because they prove it here in Texas and elsewhere. But Democrats had the option Four of them decided to, or four or more, a few more, decided to can that option that gave people that kind of choice. That wasn't a democratic evil. I mean, a Republican evil. I consider that I, to have been a democratic evil at one end of the spectrum. Yeah, I, I, the, 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 the value of talking about evil in this context is that the Republican Party has become something extraordinary. I mean, we can look at politics at any time in any country, and you can see aspects of corruption, and you can see aspects of uh, greed, and you can, you know, and you can say, well, that's you know, maybe a manifestation of, uh, of evil. That'd be fine with me. But what's extraordinary about these times 
is that the Republican Party has become something which meets my criterion for evil, which is which wasn't true even in Reagan's days. It was, certainly wasn't true in Eisenhower's days. It wasn't true of you know Al, uh, of Herbert Hoover. Uh, you know, it, it, every, both parties have been you know had their dimensions of evil forever, forever. But what's extraordinary about today's Republican Party emerging, say, from the early, I'd say it was a normal party up through the first Bush presidency. And then uh, a force which you can see manifesting in, in uh, Rush Limbaugh and his 20 million ditto heads and in uh, Newt Gingrich and his sociopathic uh, use of Nazi propaganda techniques. You know, you can see something emerging until it eventually gets to Donald Trump, the completely unthinkable uh, completely broken man. This is an extraordinary thing. I, I follow politics in a bunch of countries, and, and you know, not like I'm a expert in comparative politics for the last 300 years, but I know stuff, and I don't know of any part political party except for the Nazi Party uh, in Germany that you could point to as being so so much a coherent force that consistently works to make the human world worse, which is my definition of evil. That's what's extraordinary about this moment. And the reason I, I wanted to talk about this is that we have a moment in which the Democrats can do what they failed to do, which is to make sure that the majority of the American people see the Republican Party for what it is and take power away from it. That you know, is the job for the country. And that's, I agree with you wholeheartedly there. Now, I watched all, Sunday mornings is a, is a morning where my entire morning's taken up because I watch all the major news programs and the people Ooh. that they have on. Ooh, wow. And there is not one Democrat who cohesively or coherently made that argument that you've made. Right now, the, the solution to the debt ceilings on the Republican side is to pass a law that freezes the uh, freezes us at the 2022 spending levels. I just want to just want to point out what that meant in my show at KPFT on Friday. I explained what freezing really means from a mathematical standpoint. Freezing really means a cut in people's social security, a cut because there are more going on. And I, these, I, are the, these, these are their the, the demands, the blackmailers, uh, the hostage takers are taking. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, so and what I'm, yeah. And what I'm saying now, you, you may, you come here and you make a case. I made a case on Friday where I numerically showed that reality that it's really pain that they're inflicting, but I heard not one Democrat on these major news channels express it in a manner that the average Americans, the bread and butter Americans, could actually see the evil, as you've indicated, as, I, as we spoke about it before. Well, my recommendation, basically, is to get the American people to see this crisis in those terms I mentioned earlier, which I use in my campaign, and which I have now sent to my contact out there right. in, the, in, in, in the Congress, uh, uh, which is to say that the Republicans are snarling if you don't 
while they hold a gun to the nation's head, if you don't meet our demands, we'll blow America's head off. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And basically to do whatever is necessary for people to see the ugliness of it. Now, I'm not saying not to say some of the important things like, well, this isn't about spending, which is, I mean, it's important that people understand. And it doesn't seem like people are very good at paying enough attention to understand. This is not about limiting uh, spending. It's about paying bills for money already spent. You know, so that's important. But the crucial thing is to get people in the gut, to see the ugliness, the holding a gun to, to the country's head, to experience it in a way which registers. You don't have to use the word evil. But just the picture of a guy, you know, you say you love, they say they love America. Now, if a man was holding a gun to the a child's head, threatening to blow it off, do you think that you would think that he loved that child? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So they are the opposite of patriots. Show them for what they are in whatever way will make the greatest impact on helping Americans see this thing is ugly and destructive and needs to be swept out of power. You know, um, from your ears or from your mouth to America's ears, that's what I have to say, from your mouth to America's ears, I think it is time for us to um, really get the true narrative straight. Unfortunately, I think it's going to have to come from people like yourself and other activists out there because I have, all, I think I've lost almost all faith that the, that Democrats have some form uh, of a narrative that have the will. I shouldn't say some form that Democrats have the will to engage as you have engaged before. As most of us activists know, we need to engage. So, Dr. Schmuckler, let me just ask you to give me a closer. Tell me what you want seen done and what you intend to do. Well, as I have studied what's happened to liberal America during my lifetime, that leads to the blindnesses that we've seen and the weaknesses and the absence of the intensity of moral and spiritual passion that we we see we have such decent people able to talk about these things in a way which uh, indicates a certain uh, understanding of what's right and what's wrong but not the deep passion about it it's it's like it doesn't register uh, at at the at the level that moves people um I mean, I, my hero in terms of the confrontation with fascism is not a liberal politician. It's Winston Churchill. I, I when I was running for Congress, I was I, there are three leaders that I um, read like ten biographies of each one. Lincoln and FDR were two of them, but 
in, in some ways, the one I remain most connected with is Winston Churchill. And I find thrilling, first of all, that he understood evil as it was rising in the world in front of everybody. But his political party just consigned him to the wilderness because they refused to see what Hitler represented. So he was the voice in the wilderness and that his courage at, at that. But then when he became the wartime leader and leading a British people that had failed in the 30s to confront this thing, to rise to uh, heroic levels, to fight and defeat the fascism that almost overtook the whole British uh, Isles uh, back in, in 1940. But you look at Churchill's speeches and, and the ways he spoke, never have so many owed so much to so few. The heroic image of these people who had defended the island from the Nazi air attack. And uh, uh, I have nothing to offer you but blood, sweat, toil, and tears. And his words about the evil that this represented and how we will fight them on the beaches. We, this was the kind of voice that I wanted to hear in America as we confronted essentially the same fascistic spirit in a domestic scene, not with, not with fighter planes and such but with, with words, with words that rouse the people like, like Churchill roused his people to be brave in the, in, the, in, in the face of a terrible, dark and dangerous threat with bombs falling on London by the, by the thousands. That's what we've needed. And that's what, that's what I hope that, uh, that we can hear from the Democrats in, in an appropriate form at this moment when the Republicans are showing the whole country what ugly things they are, using evil means to achieve evil goals that shouldn't, that is an evil to achieve by those coercive means. Show how ugly it is so the American people wake up as many as possible and so that the that Republicans will never again in this form until they become a decent party again, never again control a House of Congress or the White House. Dr. Andy Schmuckler. Thank you so kindly for this edition on the current state of the Republican Party. Folks, please remember we are in fun drive mode right now. So please give us a call at 713-526-5738 and hit extension one to contribute. Please remember to contribute in the name of Politics and Right, or you can go to kpft.org, hit the donate key. Remember again, after you hit the donate key and start with the, the top, to specify politics done right as a show you are contributing to. $100 for a t-shirt with the, the KPFT logo on it, as well as, uh, I tell you what, I have a new offer, $250, and I will buy you coffee. We'll go out to have a coffee, $250. Give us a call, 713-526-5738, or extension number one, or go to kpft.org, hit the donate button, be sure to select Politics Done Right. Welcome to a new edition, a new series here on Politics Done Right, The Con, uh, featuring Patrick Lovell. Let me tell you, he is the producer of The Con. We are going to be exploring uh, the crash of 2008 and beyond. What is our fraudulent 
econom uh, economic system. So let's go ahead and get started. First of all, welcome to Politics Done Right, uh, Senor Patrick. How are you doing today? I'm well, and I'm a fan, Egberto. I appreciate you. I appreciate your efforts, and I appreciate your passion and commitment to uh, you know getting as much information and education and clarity uh, to a population desperately in need of it. Well, you know, I think we're that's what we all do uh, in this space, Patrick. I don't want I want to take no undue credit. I learned a lot from a lot of your work uh, in the con that you went ahead and presented. So I was just honored that uh, we we could come together and say we we're going to offer a multi-part series to try to inform Americans as to this system that many believe is uh, is the only system possible. But at the same time, it has defrauded many. So why don't you introduce a little bit about where the con came, how the con came about and how where we're going to go from here? Well, I think today um, is as important as any day, considering the disaster that took place in East Palestine, Ohio, and the train wreck and the uh, subsequent cover ups and then all of the other questions that seem to be lingering regarding Corporate influence, revolving door, what government responses, regulation, um, enforcement, all sorts of things that play into something that seemingly seems disparate from what you just introduced, but they're completely connected. Absolutely. Why is that, right? Well, we have created a system, a global system that's been evolving for some time. I know that there's a lot of uh, sentiment and directive uh, from a lot of what you highly focus on, as do many others. And they want to pinpoint capitalism as sort of the construct that we should be concerned with. I tend to take it from this perspective. Over the course of the last 40 years, we've created basically a neoliberal structure that has led to a predatory capitalism that is based on speculation. Now, when you unpack that statement, you actually have to understand systems, you have to understand geopolitics, you have to understand policy, but more importantly, and what's missing from the state of play in the United States, and it has really, I think, for the last two decades, is journalistic integrity and the details of how things work. Now, as we've seen in East Palestine, Ohio, most of mainstream media has ignored this story. Now they're starting to tip, tip, tip their toe in it. But you know, we in this day and age where we have so much information and we have so much misinformation or disinformation or just a lot of different people trying to espouse different aspects of something without a whole lot of understanding of the whole, you wind up with this fragmented, very confused time period that can't see the forest for the trees. And so what I hope, hope that we can achieve in this dialogue and what we present here is absolute clarity to present to you another framing of what I consider to be the core of everything. It's not about the isms of socialism, capitalism, communism, and, this, and the traditional ways that we think of pre-World War II, post-World War II, and all of the history that made all of those isms what they are. I'd like to pronounce that to me, and, and for those of you who really are about nuance or about uh, words having power, you might think of this as redundant. In fact, my partner, my colleagues, many of us uh, suggest that this is redundancy. But 
I think the system that we're going to explore and to expose to you in significant detail is corporate fascism undergirded by a criminal syndicate that uses predation as its tool to literally devour and destroy everything that we think is real. But the ultimate whodunit is, well, wouldn't that come to an end when the equilibrium, the balance, the structure derails, so to speak, staying within the analogy of uh, this disaster, this train disaster that says so much about our society? Well, you would think so, but actually, no. No, there lies the ultimate whodunit. Absolutely. So uh, before before I get into who are you, I want to um, pick up on your story on on uh, Palestine, Ohio. And just to let you know that we have a governor that goes out there and tells the people it's okay to drink your water. He tells your people that we've checked. And I listened carefully to what he said in his speech. We are going to we check the air in your home and it's all okay. Yet we have reporters going out there now that just go out and say there's something they smell in the air. Guess what? If they're smelling something in the air, that's the molecules in the air of whatever there is in the air. So one has to ask, what are they testing for? Secondly, uh, you can't say that you have dead fish in creeks and that somehow water is okay when we know that the waters in your aquifer, eventually much of it comes from the top down, uh, going ahead and filtering down. Yes, it takes a, a while, but filtering down into your aquifer. So this is the mess that uh, I think is it's far beyond Palestine because the aqueduct, or rather the the aquifers, know not where they start or end. So we'll see what comes from that. But anyhow, I just wanted to bring that up because that is the issue of this time right now that the media is just hopping on to somewhat. But I think they're still allowing many politicians to snow them by saying. Everything is fine. It's all good. We're pumping clean water around the dirty water. And the fish that you're seeing is dead. Oh, it may not be dead. And the plume is going. The plume is going. But anyway, Patrick Lovell. Who is Patrick Lovell? Well, I think a great segue to who I am is based on what you just said. So what we're dealing with in East Palestine, Ohio, um, in context of who I am and everything else, is this notion of everything that we are and what we're going to reveal to you in this segue. Financial capitalism built on predation that provides, shall we say, profit to shareholders that have destroyed the infrastructure. The point of all of this is it leads to a failed state, literally a failed state. You're an engineer from what I understand. Mm -hmm. So You come at it from the real logistical understanding of the nuts and bolts. Um, and uh, so you're quite adept to be able to understand what I'm saying isn't, you know, hyperbole. Th this is a this is a feature of, of the system that we've created because where we start with this whole pattern from, and I'll answer your question, but what I learned, because I had to reconfigure my mind and everything that I understood our country to be after the 2008 great financial crisis, once I started pulling on a lot of threads, was that it led me to discover the three Ds, which are our reality, which is deregulation, desupervision, and decriminalization leads to a criminal state. And so who is Patrick Lovell? Well, Patrick Lovell is originally from Texas, just like where you're located. 
complicated. I was born in Austin. I grew up in Houston. My family, both my grandfather and my dad, were both uh, oil and gas men. And I understand Houston as an industry city. I understood as I grew up, ultimately, the, um, so we say, triangulation and the synergy between finance and ultimately what we saw between the oil industrial complex. And then, you know, many years later, a big, big interest by the military industrial state. Now, I always grew up really believing, particularly from a Texas sort of viewpoint, I kind of relish the power, if you will, of the city of Houston, for example. That to me was kind of like my worldview when I was growing up. But ultimately, my dad got downsized during the uh, 80s mergers and acquisitions era that was brought in by a lot of things that were happening in the SNL uh, era. Davis and Loans debacle, yeah. Which many people in, 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 in Texas will, rem- will remember, of course. But that was also tied to the Mike and Michael Milken era of junk bonds. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, what might be during this era's first phase of predation. And so as I grew and I ended up moving out West and I ended up, you know, uh, the lifestyle in the mountains and a lot of, a lot of other things gave me a different sort of perspective. You know, I started to have a, a bit of a different sort of end all be all in terms of ecosystems and equilibrium and things that are maybe less important than absolute my personal interest, so to speak. Right. It's like cause consequence, balance of power, separation of power, all of those things were something that was important to me because that's what I studied in college. But ultimately, I ended up becoming a producer in Hollywood. I worked for some of the biggest um, uh, studios that exist. And then I became independent. And ultimately, because of what took place in the 2008 great financial crisis, I was always aware, Egberto, of how the world operated. I always was involved. I was never a sideline kind of guy. But I ultimately became an investigative journalist. And let me tell you, my life changed forever because that takes a lot of effort, time, commitment, resources, and it also takes a lot of patience. And as a result of that, we're now talking about this project that took us years to aggregate. Now, the con, tell us a little bit about the con and what we're going to be presenting. So in 2008, ultimately, um, as you may recall, we had a global economic crisis where literally the global machine was in a free fall. And it had become completely, I mean, it was the gears of the machine had completely come to a standstill. And it was during this transition between then President Bush and created a whole lot of problems that ultimately many of us thought we were going to be cleaning up with then incoming president who rode the populist wave of change we could believe in, which was was a bit of a uh, platitude because you never really defined exactly what that change what was. was although right. You flip-flopped on a lot of things. But but ultimately, there was a lot of hope from people like me for somebody like Obama because I happened to be going through – I was a successful producer at the time. I was working on a television show, ironically, giving away houses all over the country. And then all of a sudden, the world went upside down overnight. And I was into my first home with my young family – and things weren't adding up based on this experience. Now, the foreclosure process didn't hit Texas nearly as hard as it hit a lot of places around the country. It started in a significant way in the industrial Midwest, which we called the Rust Belt, affectionately. And then it hit the sun states and the sand states. It hit Florida, it hit Nevada, it hit Arizona, it hit California. And it was just significant. And the amount of foreclosures at that time period 
were unbelievable. And ironically, like I said, I was on a television show giving away houses around the country that ironically and unbeknownst to me was tied to this machine that was sinking rapidly. For example, we had executive producers that were out of the Seattle area that were big time commercial and residential developers flying around on G5s one day. And the next day they were literally bankrupt. And I couldn't believe my eyes because we're talking people that we thought were billionaires uh-huh. bankrupt overnight. And we're like, well, what the hell is that? Next thing I know, here comes this cataclysmic title, economic tidal wave that takes me out of a six figure job. And I was living in a nice home at the time, pretty big spend. I thought I could manage my stuff appropriately, but I would consider it the American dream 101 at the time. But the next thing I know, I'm in this catastrophic like whitewash. And nothing made sense. And I started being involved with servicers and foreclosure mills and all of these different things that I didn't understand because I literally thought that when you got a loan, you got a loan from a bank like millions of other people, and you paid off your your mortgage to a bank like the previous generations, and then eventually you have a mortgage burning uh, you know party to where you own your home, and then you move on, or at some point you sell it. And it, it, it um, you know, gains equity or you have equity, but it gains value because it, it that's appreciated what, in value for you got right. a capital gain. Yeah. Right. But instead, everything just went kablam, especially in the Western states, like I said, and in, in the sand states. And I started asking questions. One thing led to another because I am an entrepreneur. I was able to put together the funding with someone who decided to start asking the questions with me. And I'll never forget when they asked well, if you can figure out how we went from of buying for the people to of buying for the cor- corporation, I'm in. And from that point forward, it was like I had to recontextualize my entire mind. I had to re-engineer my understanding of how I thought things work. But ultimately, the biggest who done it for me was, wait a second, is the law the law? And as it turns out, not remotely. Well, you know, we are going to cut into uh, a couple of snippets from uh, some of the great work you did on the con so people can get a flavor of some of the things that we're doing uh, that we're doing here. So take a look at this. I'm neither an economist or a scholar. I'm just an average American who lost my home and very nearly my family to foreclosure when the market imploded. And I've spent almost every day since trying to find out why. Once the death settled, it quickly became clear that my story was no different than millions of other Americans. We all thought that we were alone. We all thought that we'd failed, but none of us really knew why. With a gun in her hand, Addie Polk apparently shot herself in the chest as deputies were knocking on her door with eviction papers in hand. This dramatic increase in mortgage fraud cases was the canary in the mine. It was the warning. This was money chasing people. This was not somebody looking for a loan. It was all designed to maximize profits for all of the different players. The person who sold you a loan made more money if they sold you a higher rate loan. They were sold a lot. They're selling to their very clients these loans that they know are a disaster. I lost my home, not because of money, because of fraud. I don't believe Addie Polk took out the mortgage on her home. I don't believe she signed any documents 
they just generated all this junk, took home huge bonuses, and then when it collapsed, they said, oh, not us. This notion that the financial crisis was, there wasn't fraud and there wasn't crime, is absolutely wrong. It's dead. They were targeting, in many cases, minorities. We were waiting for the leadership to say, go. That never happened. The investigation was suppressed. This was all part of the same puzzle that was falling apart. This is the largest conspiracy of lies in the history of the world. This investigation has just begun. It was just 2008, 2010, where there were entire streets that had foreclosure signs. You had millions of people asking for help on their loans to companies that had no interest in helping them. We were being lied to. City mortgage employees continually lied to us over the phone. When I asked them specific questions, they would never answer the questions. My husband had a spinal cord injury, rendering him paralyzed. So Wells Fargo offered us a loan modification. They didn't return phone calls. They provided me misinformation. People were being paid to lie to us, paid to disappear, and they never had any intention of helping us. Several employees from Bank of America were given Target and Best Buy gift cards for foreclosing on homeowners. These were just document bills that would just sign any piece of paper that was necessary in order to convince a judge to let him take the house. All of the documents that were signed by these robo-signers sit behind me. It's 39,000 and they're all fraudulent. These banks, they were a front. They were a front for a criminal enterprise. Our whole regulatory system was a failure when it came to this issue. The jury was kept from seeing my aunt's exculpatory evidence. The evidence that was pro-Barbara got shut out. I heard from a former chief justice, you know that the outcome is dependent upon where the judge believes he's been placed in the revenue stream who does him the biggest financial favors. So in other words, you're saying that they're bought off. At the time that I was running, I challenged my opponent not to take money from any banks that got government bailout money. And I did get a call from Washington telling me to be careful because there were a lot of people who got that money who were in my party. Where people can get away with stuff, they will. And the best place to get away with stuff is have a big corporation that's traded on the stock exchange that gives a lot of money to lobbyists and politicians and make it so complicated that nobody can ever figure out what the you did. And you win. If there is an alarm to be sounded in the aftermath of 2008, it is when you have too much wealth and too few hands, the rule of law begins to collapse. All the Americans who are still out of work got low wages, huge student debts, underwater homes. All these problems are a direct result of the financial crash. The failure to rescue the American working and middle class in the Great Recession, that has set us on the trajectory to where we find ourselves today. This is a fight between Main Street and Wall Street, between the big banks and real people. I'm not supposed to win. Borrower is not supposed to win. That is this game, is if you've got the money, you can make the law or you can buy the law. No individual faced any accountability for any of this. 
I have a new definition for the perfect crime. Perfect crime is a crime that involves everybody. Do you know what the American people would do if those leaders of those banks were indicted? It would send a message loud and clear that the game's over. And we let them off the hook. We let them off the hook. The only way it's going to change is the same way it was affected, which was millions of people have finally had it. Okay, now, Patrick, um, this is our first episode. It's meant to just be an introduction for folks to understand what we're going to be bringing them. And yes, we're starting with the crash of 2008. But not, in as much as many believe that uh, things would have changed, that uh, some some form of grass Stiegley would have been corrected, and somehow we were go- we were going to get out of the realm of leverage buying and uh, and 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 uh, credit default swaps that go to hell and derivatives that destroy. It's right back where we were, and I think later on in this series, you're going to point out that in a lot of instances, it's actually worse. Well, you asked the most pressing question, uh, and I came in, when I came into contact you, with you, when you were quoting Bernie Sanders saying that Wall Street's business model is fraud. Mm-hmm. It is. And there's a way it works. You can't wave a magic wand and say fraud is one thing. You got to deconstruct it like a murder mystery because it murdered common sense, the law, and the American dream. It's the coup, that's what you call it, the coup d'etat, and now we, we're having the coup d'etat. And it never ended. And like you said, it's worse. If you just look at the numbers, I think we were up to, and let's put this into perspective real quick so your viewers, hopefully, their jaw can fall agape. So recently, Sam Bankman-Fried and the FTX debacle has been on display, I think, at the highest level. It was somewhere in the middle of a $9 billion hole in the spread, in the, um, in the the um, in the balance sheets. What we're talking about here, folks, is somewhere in 2006 between 600 and 800 trillion dollars uh-huh. that destroyed the global economy. And as it turns out, right now I think we're in the 1.4 quadrillion range uh-huh. um, for the same derivatives. That's beyond debt. This is just simply derivatives. You know, like like I've said all of the times, these are people that don't work. They just figure out and create instruments on paper well we know it's inside of a computer now but instruments that somehow gives the uh, gives a semblance of of building worth and building wealth but that's not what they do well for this first episode why don't you give me a closer patrick absolutely so after you just saw those two trailers at uh, that you can find more information at our website at www.thecon.tv what we're going to explore is what those two trailers tease, which are the details of all of the layers of what created, and like Egberto, this is what happens in, I guess, Engineering 101, you got to understand how the system works. Right. And so we're going to introduce to you from the, from, from, from the very basics all the way through the entire um, symmetry of this insane system of collusion corruption and betrayal that has deceived everyone and has absolute control of this country. Patrick Lovell, producer of the con, and we are going to learn about the con and we're going to learn about what we must do to mitigate the con. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics and Right. It's my pleasure. It's my honor. And I look forward to more. Thank you, Egberto. 
Folks, it's not too late. Please call 713-526-5738, extension number one. Support politics done right however you can, or go to kpft.org and support politics done right. Remember, in each of these cases, let it be known that you are supporting politics done right with your contribution.